was God doing in you? Is there anything that you can share? <clears throat> anything that, that the Spirit of God was doing in you that was ministering to you? That was, I mean, I don't want you to tell secrets, but is there anything that you could share that would encourage somebody else? That, that God spoke to you or touched you in some way? Because um, I know he was doing it. And, and you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to share stuff that's secret or personal, but anything happened that you can't share? Really? Now, Diana's been on strike since Wednesday. Uh, she showed up here today because she wanted the devil to know whose side she's on. <coughs> but but God's touched you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else have something? Edify the body. Supposed to encourage each other, pray for each other, encourage each other. So I'm open. Shirley? I agree with that. That's a, <clears throat> you know, it says uh, in Revelations, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they didn't love their life unto death. But and the word, the, the blood of the Lamb is awful. I mean, awesome, amazing, uh, life-changing. Our victory is in the blood of the Lamb. But the word of our testimony that we proclaim to others <clears throat> Encourage as we're as we are proclaiming God's faithfulness, the word of our testimony to others. We are at the same time encouraging our own hearts. You know, the, the, several different places in the Psalms, the psalmist says, "And remember that time that we got that God just parted the oceans and we just walked right through." And remember the time that God did this and praise His name. His mercy endures forever and ever. And remember the time He did this. And remember the time He did this. And, that happened, if it happened then, it can happen again. If it happened then, it's going to happen again. Because sometimes life is hard, but God is always faithful. And is, is God ever not faithful? Don't give up. You know, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word in Greek means what? Stand firm. Don't run away. When you see the devil coming at you, don't freak out. Don't let go of what God's given you. You stand firm because if you don't, if you don't willingly, voluntarily move, the devil can't move you. He can intimidate you, but he can't move you if you stand fast. All right? If you can't, yeah, if you don't quit... You can't lose. You understand that? Let's say that. Turn around to somebody and say that. If you don't quit, you can't lose. Right? Amen? Yes and amen? All right? Okay. If you don't quit, you can't lose. Because Jesus has already won. Everybody say, glory. glory. <clears throat> say it louder. Say it like you really mean. Glory. Say it like Barry White. Glory. <laughs> say glory, Randy. That's right. That's it. All right. Okay. God is so good. I just, I just love being here with you all. Okay. I'm just going to remind you every time I can about the Antioch Declaration. This is the gospel that was preached in the New Testament in the, the days of the book of Acts. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through Jesus forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. Because of Jesus, your sins are now forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't deserve it. Jesus died for you. You didn't even know it. Your sins are forgiven. End of story. Right now, your sins are forgiven. But uh, more than that, everyone who believes in him, because you have to set this all by faith, it's not, it's not real. 
You didn't win the lottery until you turned in the ticket, right? You may have a lottery ticket, but if you don't turn it in, you have zero money. <clears throat> Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. Your sins are forgiven right now. But if you don't act on it by faith, you don't get the benefits. Everyone who believes is not only experiences forgiveness of sins, but is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. All those people that worked all those years to try to keep the law, keep the law, and they, they never felt any better, but they kept trying to keep the law, and it turned into a big contest. And, and so Paul says, look, not only are your sins forgiven through Jesus, but if you believe in Jesus, then freedom starts to come. Uh, chains are broken off of you. Um, generational curses and bad habits and, and the echoes and the pain of the past, the fear of the future, all these things that just suck you down. He begins to break those things off you and set you free from those things. And keeping the rules and the law of Moses couldn't do any of that. All it did was make you want to try and remind you that you had to do better and try harder because yesterday you didn't do good enough. So try even harder to do better today so that you can try even harder and do better after that. All, Paul says, here's what I want you to do. In response to this, here's your assignment. Continue in the grace of God. Continue in the grace of God. Continue to trust His faithfulness. Continue to trust His word. Continue to trust His mercy. Continue to surrender to Him. Continue to keep rolling things over onto Him. Don't freak out. Continue in grace and let God continue His work in you. All right. Um, That's that's the good news. And from the book of Acts chapter 1 on, what we've learned is that our, our job, our singular job in the body of Christ is to tell what we have experienced. That what's, that what, that's what it means to be a witness. To tell what you have experienced. But this, is where we, we've, this is where we make a mistake. This is where we're confused about how to... to, uh, <clears throat> to how can I say... How can I put this? We are confused about what it means to witness to somebody. We think that witnessing to somebody means sort of cornering them somewhere where they can't get away and say, uh, have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? Can I, let me read this booklet to you. And it tells you all these things. And it comes out of the Bible, so it has to be true. Thing one, thing two, thing three, thing four. Now it's time to say a prayer. Would you like to pray this prayer? And depending on how trapped the person is, they may either say yes or no, but all you really did was read a book to them. And that's... I'm not saying that sharing biblical truth with somebody isn't important. But that's not what it means to be a witness. And the, 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 the word witness in Greek is martyr, and it means to tell what you have seen and heard. It means to tell your experience. It means to tell your story. And when you tell your story, which is your unique experience with Jesus Christ, <clears throat> then the Holy Spirit shows up and does the rest. Paul was just telling his story and the story of the body of Christ. This and this and this and this happened. And he told the story. And the Holy Spirit shows up and shook people. Shook foundations. He showed up and demonstrated that Jesus was still alive. All right. So just remember that. From now on, uh, probably one of the best. If you, if you know somebody then, and you know they need to know Jesus, don't try to win an argument with them and impressed with them how much you better you know the scriptures, and so you must be right because you can recite the Bible better than they could. Tell them your story. Tell them the reality of what you've been through, what Jesus has taken you through. Tell them stories of his faithfulness. Jesus very rarely cited chapter and verse when he was ministering to people. What did Jesus do? He loved people, and how did he teach them? By telling them stories. All right, don't forget that. So, now, everybody knows who this is, right? Tell me who this guy is. 
<clears throat> Boy, didn't you used to love watching that show when you were little? Love that. <clears throat> Some of you weren't so little. <clears throat> that's him. That's Monty Hall from Let's Make a Deal. He was a great guy. I mean, I don't have any problems with Drew Carey, but... Uh, well, I may have some problems with Drew Carey, but... <clears throat> but, boy, remember how he used to like run around and look in people's purses and do all this kind of stuff? And, and, and he'd, he'd like give you 40 bucks or 100 bucks if you had uh, like uh, a used McDonald's hamburger wrapper in your purse or something like that. <clears throat> and, uh, and then, after he'd give you like 500 or $1,000... What would he do sometimes? He would come back to you and say, what? How would you like to trade that $1,000 I gave you for what's behind the curtain? And then it was like, mm, I've got a thousand, go home with $1,000 right now. There, and behind the curtain, there might be a new car or a billy goat. And you just didn't know. Um, it, didn't, it didn't occur to me until I was really working on this sermon that, that playing Let's Make a Deal involved a measure of faith. A little bit of risk, a little bit of faith, because you, didn't, you don't know what's behind the curtain. You've got to step out in faith. And you... Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, anyhow, hold on to that thought. Now, let's, let's flash back to three weeks ago. Right, and before Palm Sunday, we had gotten to Acts chapter 15. Finally, after being in this since October or August of 2016, we finally got to Acts chapter 15. And after this amazing uh, missionary journey, uh, the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas get back to Antioch, uh, the big Antioch, not the little Antioch, the big Antioch, uh, and they're celebrating the triumphs that they've had all around Asia Minor when some people from Jerusalem show up and start a fight and start telling all of these Gentiles that have just been converted to Christianity that you can't, unless you're circumcised, unless you're keeping all of the Jewish laws, you're not really saved. And Paul and Barnabas said, yes, they are. And the, and the Nayers, the, and the guys from Jerusalem said, uh, no, they're not. Yes, they are. No, you're not. Yes, they are. No, you're not. And went around and around and around like this. And finally, they just said, look, we're going to go down to Jerusalem and we're going to get a ruling. We're going to sort this out. <clears throat> uh, and so now we kind of pick up the story in Acts chapter 15, verse 6. Uh, Peter and... I mean, Paul and Barnabas have told their story again, and they're continuing to tell it, uh, in front of what at that time was the assembled, I'm going to say the assembled brain trust for the early church. Uh, and so, uh, here's what happens. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And interestingly, the, the lead elder, uh, or, or the recognized most respected leader in the church at Jerusalem was who? James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, who hadn't followed Jesus for one second during his earthly ministry, but who was the first person that Jesus went to after he was raised from the dead to say, James, we need to talk. Uh, James was in a much better frame of mind at that point to receive what Jesus was saying. And... uh, and as a result of his conversion experience after the resurrection, James was, rec- was the recognized spiritual leader of the church of Jerusalem. Uh, so Peter stood up in the middle of this conversation and says, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the, the gospel and believe. <clears throat> Peter didn't want to talk to the to Cornelius and his family. Peter didn't want to go and tell them anything about Jesus because they were Gentiles and they were unclean and they were for, it was forbidden for him to talk to them, especially forbidden for him to eat with them. He didn't want to go. God dragged him, kicking and streaming, to, uh, to Jaffa to, to meet with Cornelius' family. Uh, and God, who knows the heart, 
testified to them, and he gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. We were all Jews. We got the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Why went to talk to Gentiles? And they got the Holy Spirit too. Incidentally, I just love this part of the story. Cornelius and his family received the Holy Spirit before Peter even finished his sermon. It wasn't like, and point number two, point number three, point number four. Now, uh, uh, Brother Chris Tomlin is going to come up here and lead us in a final praise and worship song. And if you would like to receive the Holy Spirit, come forward. No, he was in the middle of like point number two. And the Holy Spirit just fell down. They didn't even get to finish his sermon. It was like, I went through all this agony to step out on faith and to come here and take a big risk and have my reputation ruined. And I don't even get to finish my sermon because the Holy Spirit just knocks all these people to the floor. Thanks a lot, God. God makes no distinction between us and them. He cleansed their hearts by faith. And then I love this. Look at this. Now, therefore, and he's talking to these people what we call Judaizers, who wants to turn everybody back into Jews. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of these new Gentile disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He's like saying, look, can we just talk? I mean, it's just, it's just us Jews here now, right? Let's, can I just talk? You know the law has never worked. It was a yoke on our fathers and our forefathers and their forefathers. We've been struggling with it. You know, it's never worked for us. It never worked for them. It's always been a burden. Why do you want to put that same burden on them? We believe now that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they also are. It turns out faith in Jesus by the grace of God is what has set us free and that's what's setting them free don't put another yoke on them because we know that it's not effective. All right, that's where we ended up. Now, oh, let me just ask this question. So, I can't remember. There was a, a scholar once said that, uh, that the gospel of grace is scandalous. It was scandalous back then and it's scandalous to a lot of people now. Because the gospel of grace goes against what our flesh wants to believe. That, that it's up to us to be good people. And that's what God appreciates. And that's what makes us feel better about ourselves. Is to always be trying to, to uh, be a little bit more superior than everybody else. Or a little bit more successful than everybody else. And, and so, so a lot of times our flesh fights against grace. Because it just seems... Too simple. Seems too easy. And it seems a little bit like, wait, but not fair. Um, I'm, I've worked this whole, I've worked my whole life trying to be a good Christian. And then at the, very, at the very end, Adolf Hitler, right before he shoots himself, accepts Jesus as his personal Savior, and he gets to go to heaven too? But, or whatever. I mean, there's something about that. That, that ain't right. That, that, that's, that's, that's not fair. So the enemy of grace is fear. The, the thing that keeps us from surrendering to grace on a wholesale level is fear. Uh, fear that, that we aren't enough and fear that we won't be loved. And so we want to try really hard to get... We want to make sure that we've done enough to make God love us. And this whole notion that we should just surrender and accept it while we're still... Um, a wreck, that's, there's somehow that, that, that doesn't seem right. We want to, a friend of mine always used to say, God catches his fish and then he cleans them. Um, but we want to get ourselves all cleaned up and then be worthy of Jesus. Um, sometimes the uh, fear that we will fail at pleasing God, uh, we wanna, if I just believe in grace all the time, then I'll probably quit trying and, and then I'll fall and then I'll fail, and then God will decide he doesn't like me after all. Um, Guess what? How many times a day do you fall and fail anyhow? Even when you're trying your best? Uh, Yes, and that's Diana talking. If if Diana says a lot, then I'm just looking at the rest of you. (laughs) Right? 
We're afraid, we fear that God will withhold blessings unless we earn them and make ourselves worthy. Okay, so maybe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins, and I'm grateful for that, but I'm going to make it up to him. And I'm going to live the best kind of Christian life so that God will just, won't have any reason to not bless me. Not, he won't, God won't have any reason to not answer my prayers. God, because I will have made my, I will extra qualify myself and make myself worthy. Grace is, grace is a good start, but trying harder makes it even better. Amen? No. Uh, trying harder, doing anything outside of just resting and continuing in grace is going to make you crazy. Fear that we'll mislead others. I don't want to, if I tell people too much about grace, then they'll think it's, they, what if they decide that it's okay to uh, receive God's grace and still be a bank robber? Just be a really sanctified bank robber. Um, that can't be right. So we, we don't want to give people the idea that being a Christian is too simple. Fear that our confidence in grace will be perceived as being soft on sin. That's really the hardest part. We start talking about the fact, telling people that your sins are forgiven already. Jesus has already died for your sins. Just receive it and just rest in that and surrender to it without saying, and, all, and you have to stop doing this and you have to stop doing this and you have to start doing this and you have to do this four more times a day. We'll make it look like we're soft on sin. And we don't, we don't give people that impression. We're, we're afraid that if we talk too much about grace, people will misunderstand us and think that we're not serious enough about being a good Christian. So we run away from grace. We're kind of glad for it. You've heard me say this before. Biggest problem, especially with pastors, we believe in grace, but we also believe if we try really, really hard, we won't ever really need it. You know what I mean? Yes, grace is for those people out there who are just really messed up, like your brother-in-law. your neighbor down the street with the big dogs, you know. Those people need grace, but I've tried really hard to live a good life all my life. So if I ever really needed grace, I I could get it, but I've lived such a great life, I don't really need it. That's the secret self-righteous message that do better, try harder, releases into the church. Uh, without, Without coming to grips with the fact that we are all broken, we are all fallen, we are all alone. We, the only thing that can set us free is the grace of God. Sometimes you just have to come into a situation where if it weren't for the grace of God, you, you would not survive. But otherwise, we can fake it and pretend everything is okay when it really isn't. I know how that feels. I know how that feels. So grace is all there is. Grace is all there is. So we get to this part. So after Peter made his speech, the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul, who just kept telling people about all the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles. And this miracle happened, and this miracle happened, and this miracle happened. And you wouldn't believe it. And, oh, yeah, and Paul got stoned, and we thought he was dead. And then we were just standing around, staring, not, now Paul's dead, what are we going to do? And Paul got up, and he walked back into the city, and just completely freaked us out. They're telling all these stories. <clears throat> and when finally Paul and Barnabas kept, stopped telling their stories, James answered. Remember that old, old E.F. Hutton commercial? What, you remember, remember what the slogan was? When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. When James talks, people listen. And James stood up and he said, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, Simon, Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles the people for his name. And he's pointing back to the fact that Peter just made that. Peter just reminded him of the fact that, the, that God went out and got the Gentiles already. Even before Paul did, God sent Peter to get Gentiles. With these words, with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. And then he gives this quote from the Old Testament. After these things, I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, 
says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. So, so James was saying, look, you guys are all freaking out about Gentiles. This has been prophesied from a long time ago. We are seeing the fulfillment of a prophecy that we've all been waiting for, for the coming of the Messiah. The Gentiles are coming in. The whole world is coming in. We just didn't know what the whole plan was until just now. He says, therefore, it is my judgment. And this is all going on about 50 AD, incidentally. A new deal. For the first time, officially out loud in public, the leaders, the core ground zero leaders of the church in Jerusalem are about to codify a new deal. As we also sometimes call it, a new covenant. Old things are passed away, new things are coming now. And he says, therefore it's my judgment that we don't trouble those who are turning to God from the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. I'll explain more about that in a minute because it sounds kind of weird. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues of every Sabbath. And here's some commentators made this observation, which I think is kind of interesting. They think that this was sort of James's way of saying, look, if the, gener- if the Gentiles want to find out more about the old ways, not saying that it's bad or wrong, but there are people in every synagogue if they really want to find out more about the law, they can find out more about the law. Because it's everywhere. But let's don't make that a condition of coming into the body of Christ. Abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication, from what is strangled, and from blood. So, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent a guy named Judas, who's also called Barsabbas, and they sent Silas, leading men among the church of Jerusalem, and they sent this letter by them. Now, there's some genius here. So James is saying, you know what, we need, we, need to, we need to nip this thing in the bud. What's it that Barney Five always said? Nip it, nip it, we're gonna nip, nip, nip it in the bud right now. Nip that thing right in the bud. And it sends... So Paul and Barnabas are evidently kind of controversial because they started this new thing and it's freaking out some Jews. So we're going to write a letter, but we're going to send Judas and Silas to carry the letter. We're not just going to send Paul back and say, so Paul could say, hey, you know, I met with James, my good buddy James, and James said this is the way it's going to be um, without any corroboration. So they sent two other witnesses to go back to Antioch with uh, Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, they sent Silas, uh, and they sent this letter. No, backwards. Here's the letter. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles' greetings. This letter was written specifically to Gentiles from the founders of the faith in Jerusalem. Yo. Since we have heard that some of our number, that we didn't send, they didn't come from us, we didn't give them any instructions, but some people from our number have disturbed you with their words and they've unsettled your souls, it seemed good to us having become of one mind here in Jerusalem. Super important. One mind means what? 100% in agreement. Here in Jerusalem, the founders of the faith, the elders of the church, have come into 100% agreement to select men to send to you with our beloved, ooh, look at this, beloved Barnabas and Paul. They can't be any mistake about whose side they're on. The people in Jerusalem, we are, we are backing Paul and Barnabas, 100%. We have their back. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ooh, that's kind of just 
sends chills up and down my spine. These guys risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will report the same things by word of mouth. So we've got a letter that we're writing you, but they're, they're going to tell you from, the, from our mouth to their ears, to your ears, exactly what the New Deal is going to be. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that. Now, we had this good idea, but the Holy Spirit thought it was a good idea. If you think you've got a good idea, it's never really a good idea until it's confirmed by the Holy Spirit, all right? Now, turn around to somebody, just look at them and say, you're not really as smart as you think you are. <clears throat> all right. No matter what... I didn't really mean to start a fight back there. <clears throat> um. The point is, you, you can think you, could, you have a good idea, but it's not a good idea unless the Holy Spirit thinks it's a good idea. You have to wait for confirmation from the Holy Spirit. And so they said, it's good to the Holy Spirit, oh, and to us too. <laughs> Great idea. Great idea, Holy Spirit. We're behind that 100%. Uh, it was good to us, to the Holy Spirit and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. You abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well later. Catch you later. Your friend, James. So we have to talk about this for a second. I mean, this is life-changing. This, is, this changed the history of the world. Now, I'm going to stop and say this first of all. When you add these conditions, don't, don't take things sacrificed to idols, no blood, uh, fornication. He's not you're making these conditions of salvation. It's not like Jesus plus no fornication and you'll go to heaven. Um, because they've already made it clear, abundantly clear, uh, as James affirmed what Peter said a couple of pages back, that uh, salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ, through the grace of God. So, uh, we are saved through grace. J- James reiterated it. But these, um, these conditions are important for another reason. Um, and I'm going to see if I can... First of all, they were important for preserving unity through encouraging the Gentiles to adopt a gracious and sort of sanctified-looking lifestyle. So, let me just say this. Eating blood and meat sacrificed to idols was extremely repulsive to Jews in and, and the worst possible way because there wasn't, there's nothing more strictly forbidden in Jewish culture than worshiping idols, right? Um, and one of the strongest Levitical legal prohibitions was... Uh, eating blood, or eating things that have been strangled because if you ate something that's strangled, it still has the blood inside it. And it's very clear in the Old Testament, the life is in the blood. And the the, the blood sacrifice all offered in the temple uh, because blood signifies life. And you, you, you are automatically unclean if you uh, connected, you, you were contacted, uh, any kind of blood, you had to go through a purification process. It's just, it's like a bridge too far. <clears throat> and you couldn't, you don't want to go to a dinner party, you know, you don't have a covered dish dinner at church that's thrown by Gentiles and they have nothing but meat sacrificed to idols and stuff that's been strangled. Uh, it's a horrible, horrible, offensive dietary insult. Uh, it's actually what started the fight that led to Paul writing the book of Romans. Because you had Gentiles who were okay with these dietary freedoms and Romans, Roman, Jews in, in the Roman church who were saying, you absolutely can't do this. You absolutely can't do this. Uh, so, uh, Gentiles who could afford it did all of their grocery shopping at an idol temple because 
because Gentiles brought their things to sacrifice. Uh, and maybe you took the heart and some of the entrails and then the rest of the, the steer or whatever, or the lamb or whatever was sacrificed went to the temple butcher shop. And people just went and bought their own. That's where you could get really, really good cuts of meat at a discount. So, so Gentiles were accustomed to eating meat sacrificed to idols all the time. It was just a way of life for them. And they didn't care about things sacrificed with, with uh, blood. The, the kosher notion of bleeding animals out uh, was not practiced uh, universally by the rest of the world. This was a Jewish thing. So Gentiles, they, they ate completely differently in a way that offended everybody that it, for the Jewish background. So uh, Paul talks about this in Romans. He also talks, he says, uh, towards the end of the book of Romans, he says, look, maybe you've got the faith to eat things sacrificed to idols, uh, but just don't do it around people who... who it, it, and this is a, it's an act of love to, mod, to modulate your dietary habits around people that you're going to offend. In Colossians, he also says this. this is, the book of Colossians is written 10 years later. He said, don't let anybody judge you about what you choose. You know, don't let people tell you you have to, to work, celebrate certain holidays or that you have to eat a certain way or you have to do, adopt a certain lifestyle. None of those things have the power to deliver you from sin. Um, so it, 10 years later, it almost seems like Paul's fudging just a little bit uh, by, by saying to his readers, I don't really care whether you eat meat sacrificed to idols or not, but don't think that whether you do or don't, it has any bearing on whether you're forgiven from sin because Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. So we could get into a long, long discussion about that. Like I said, the whole book of Romans and the book of Colossians was primarily inspired by this fight. But uh, the other thing, he says, avoid fornication. And this is another huge difference between Gentile and Jewish society. In Judaism, you had extremely strong rules about faithfulness in marriage. In Gentile society, it was like <clears throat> you get married mostly to preserve inheritance lines, and uh, but you can go to a temple prostitute anytime you want to. You can keep. <clears throat> what was a, f- a famous Jewish philosopher said? You know, we uh, we we marry wives to raise our children, uh, and we keep mistresses to make our lives more interesting. Uh, and we go see prostitutes every day just because we have certain needs. That was, that was Gentile society. The notion of being uh, morally faithful to one partner was completely... <clears throat> you know, one of the, one of the ways that, that pagan temples raise support? A primary income stream for pagan temples was what, everybody? Um, prostitution. You could come and serve your God by paying a fee that went to support the priests and visit temple prostitutes. That was how horribly broken uh, the rules of sexual morality morality were uh, in the pagan society. And the Jews, on the other hand, were ferociously, ferociously guarded sexual purity in the bond of marriage. The Jews actually had divorce laws that were a little more flexible than the, than the pagans did, but uh, the Jews were uh, ferociously committed to uh, sexual purity in marriage. And so, one of the, honestly, one of the hardest things the church had to do in the first 100, 150 years just take all these Gentiles that were used to sleeping around all the time, just like some people go eat fast food four or five times a week. Uh, the Gentiles just went out and slept with people all the time because that's, uh, that's just the way I was raised. Um, so if you're going to preserve the integrity of marriage and families 
and preserve the truth of the gospel, you have to ferociously defend moral purity in marriage. So, of all the things that, that James could have picked out, I can't honestly tell you why he picked these, except for the reasons I've just explained to you. Uh, the only way to keep peace with Jews and Gentiles was, to, it was just to deal directly with the whole meat sacrifice to idols and blood stuff. Um, and it was incredibly important to preserve, to, to train Gentiles coming in who had no background in moral purity um, the importance of faithfulness in marriage. Um, it doesn't mean that James didn't care about any other ethical issues. But these were the ones that were really important. And uh, we're almost done here. I'm just going to pull this out. But it, it changed the... This statement changed the course of history uh, because the focus now went from focusing from on law to grace, from works to faith, from fear to love, from obligation to gratitude. Can't say that enough. As Christians, we are motivated, no longer motivated by fear or obligation. Oh, I, just, I have to do this. I owe it to Jesus to do this for him. Our entire motivation, the reason Paul can say what he does in Romans 6 about uh, grace not being an excuse to keep sinning was because as the revelation of how much we are loved begins to sink in, our motivation for serving God goes from obligation to gratitude. We are the only ones who really know the truth about how broken we are, us and Jesus. And knowing that Jesus sees us in our brokenness, most broken place, and redeems us anyhow, releases gratitude that becomes the motivation for everything we do. No longer controlled by fear, moved by joy, moved by gratitude, the Holy Spirit begins to renew us and restore us. We are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like James, he says, we're saved by grace. You give this handful of things, boom, mic drop, walk away. The end. Conversation done. And not just Jesus plus something. You know, he didn't even talk about the Ten Commandments. It would have been so easy for, for James to say, look, accept Jesus and just keep the Ten Commandments and we're good. But he did he didn't, even get, he didn't even go that far. He had some very specific, highly controversial um, cultural behaviors that could have poisoned the church going forward. But, and it doesn't, it's not that he didn't believe in the Ten Commandments. It's not that he didn't believe in that, that level of, of moral, ethical excellence. But he, he, didn't want to let any, he didn't want to give anybody the impression that it's Jesus plus do this, do this, do this, do this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What Jesus has done for us is what qualifies us to belong to him. Um, The notion that I put my faith in Jesus and then I just have to do this three or four other really important things and keep on doing them and then Jesus will love me and then Jesus will accept me and then Jesus will bless me, that's done, gone, forever. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. God in Jesus has given us everything what, everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's given it to us. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, what? It is finished. It is over. The battle is over. The battle is won. Everything that's required to preserve us with him for eternity was accomplished at the cross. You can cash it in or not, but he's not asking you to do anything else except trust what he's already done. And he's going to keep working in you, and he's going to keep hounding you, and the Holy Spirit's going to keep convicting you, and you're going to keep growing, and he's going to keep changing you, and he's going to keep dealing with you, but it's his work in you. 
not something that you do hoping to make him happier with you. All right? You know why Jesus loves you? Because you're you. Jesus loves Randy because he's Randy. Jesus loves Carl because he's Carl. Jesus looks at each one of us as unique works of art that he created and he loves you because you are his and he doesn't want to lose you. So, let's take a step of faith. Do you have a secret checklist? Kind of like, okay, yes, and I'll put my faith in Jesus, but uh, if... Do you have this little dialogue that ever plays in your head? If I want to really be certain that I'm safe and saved and eligible to receive God's best, in addition to faith in Christ, I really also need to make sure that I do or do not do what? What's on your secret checklist? And if you just make sure that you're doing those things more often, you feel a little bit safer that God's going to really love you more because you did this right. Do you have that? Do you have a little list there? Oh, you feel a lot tighter when you, when you get sucked into that list? We, we all have these places where the devil attacks us and makes us feel like a failure, makes us feel guilty, and keeps saying, no, you're just, God's, God's not going to answer your prayer. God's not going to bless you. God's not going to give you his best because you screwed up that thing again. God's just done, done with you until you figure out a way to straighten your life up. <clears throat> God knew from the foundation of the world that you were never going to figure out a way to really straighten your life up. If it were possible for you to figure out a way to straighten your life up, there would have been no need for the cross because there would have been a handful of people who got it right. So I know you've got a list because I have a list. There are things that I have to just sit down and, and repent of. Nothing wrong with repentance. The Holy Spirit convicts us times we need to repent and, and renew our focus on Jesus. But never for one second does God look at you and say, you know, I'd really like to answer that prayer. I'd really like to bless you today. I'd really like to protect you from getting hit by that bus. But you know what you did yesterday. No bus protecting from you today until you earn it. Look at this. I want to wrap up with this. This is all out of Galatians 5, and I just took a bunch of verses and squeezed them together. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. I mean, that's exactly what Peter said. Why are you putting this yoke of this burden back on them? It didn't work for us. It's not going to work for them. Jesus has come to set us free. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. It doesn't make a difference whether you're circumcised or not circumcised because here's the focus now. Faith working through love. Trusting what Jesus has already done. Letting him love us. Letting that love flow out of us. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, Paul said, this is the whole law. God, I mean, you take all of the Library of Congress number of volumes that the, that the Jewish culture has written over the years about interpreting the law, and, and Paul puts them all out of business by just saying, oh, the whole law is one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus... John chapter 13, the last instruction he gave to his disciples was what? I'm giving you a new commandment. It's a commandment to trump all the other commandments. I want you to love each other the way I've loved you. The world will not know you're my disciples if you don't love each other in this radical new way. Paul says... The whole law is fulfilled in one word in this statement, love your neighbor as yourself. People will know that you belong to Jesus when they see you treat people the way Jesus would treat people from the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's, this is Paul's philosophy of how to live every day as a Christian. Faith working through love.
it was for freedom, freedom from fear, freedom from works, freedom, freedom from shame, freedom from hopelessness, freedom from all that stuff, because we are his. He died for us to dramatically drive home the point. You are mine, and I am not letting you go. You know, that's a really good deal. That's a really good deal. And the devil tries to talk us out of it. And some, some days we let him. But even in those days when we feel like we're not worthy, Jesus is right there ready to catch us. Ready to catch us ready to dust us off, ready to clean us up, ready to have a talk with us if he needs to, ready to infuse us with new power and new hope as he loves us through those times when we are the worst versions of ourselves. Because it's finished. It's finished. It's finished. Let's pray. Lord, I know tomorrow that we're going to run into a situation somewhere where, once again, we didn't measure up to what we know a good Christian is supposed to measure up to. And at those times, Lord, when we feel that maybe we failed just one time too many, remind us, Jesus, of your declaration from the cross. It is finished. You are mine. It is finished. You are mine. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. as we